Please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 17th of March 2021, and it's time again for your morning espresso. To kick things off this morning, first of all, if you need a simultaneous translation, if you're watching live, then you can access that by clicking on the button below. There's a Q&A button there as well, but as ever, you can always send uh, any questions you might have to Nordea Funds at nordea.com. Right, in time-honoured fashion, I am joined this morning by our senior macro strategist, Sebastian Gali. Good morning, Sebastian. Good morning. Hi. So, Sebastian, um, recently the ECB have announced that they are going to be accelerating their bond repurchasing um, programme. So I just wondered what that meant for or means for us as investors. Sure. I mean, it's a very important point. Faced with um, a steepening of the yield curve, that is uh, yields in the longer end, which are higher. And there have been two reactions, one from the ECB and others, such as the Bank of Japan, which has been aggressive against it, and others such as uh, in the EIS, allowing uh, the move happen. Now, if we focus on what it means for the Eurozone, it means if you look at the, this graph for the spread between the Italian and German 10-year yield, so how much more risk is there in Italy versus Germany? You can see mm -hmm. that it started to trend down on the back of this aggressive action by the ECB. It's not only that they say they will be uh, more aggressive, probably you're looking at 20 to 40 billion a week of uh, purchases versus a load that we've seen at the beginning of the year of about uh, 12 billion. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it is also a potential recalibration of the program. So if it doesn't, if it's not enough, then they, they simply will top it off. So uh, quite a powerful message. And of course, if you're invested in financial debt in Italy, uh, this is very good because not only uh, does it reduce the risk, but also it accelerates the speed with which the Italian economy actually outperforms and therefore reduces credit risk. So it has a whole slew of implications, but it's generally quite positive for risk. Yeah, it's interesting because I've, having a conversation with a few clients about our um, European financial debt strategy, uh, which kind of fits in nicely perhaps with, uh, with this recent move. Indeed, I, I think that's one of the critical sums. So you, some of the high yield companies in the financials are to be found in Italy. Some of the highest risk in Europe are to be found in Italy as well as Greece. And if things are improving, then it's quite a good credit story. Yeah. So, Let's move across to the other side of the Atlantic now. Um, what are Fed expectations? Because there's been some news on that front as well. To know what Fed expectations are, you have to read the curve. Basically, it tells you what it is, but it's more complicated than this. So it, the expectations right now is that by the end of 2023, we will have our first rate hike. Uh, by September of 2021, so this year, we should announce uh, that uh, there will be the, uh, the first signal towards tapering, so this redu reduction in bond purchases. And in the beginning of the following year, they start reducing these purchases and it takes roughly a year for them to stop it. So you're, you're well into 2022 uh, when this happens. So it's a complex set of moves, but of course, uh, what the Fed will do on uh, today, 
on Wednesday is basically to uh, mostly try to fight against the perception that's going to be tapering, fight against the perception that it's going to be rate hike in 2023 and announce or forecast there will be none, for example. Yeah, I was on a call yesterday with Double Line um, of Jeff Gundlach fame, and uh, they were talking about exactly this. They don't think there's going to be tapering for at least 12 months. That was their uh, prediction. I think there's going to be, uh, you're probably looking at the, the beginning of the next year, basically, for, uh, for tapering. I think that the, the singling of tapering and probably in the second half of the year, you, you do get this tapering. Average inflation targeting means they don't have to do much. Uh, and they don't have to be very aggressive, but when they are aggressive, they have to be quite aggressive. So it means a steep curve, all things equal. Yeah, great. Let's summarize, shall we? Uh, we have a slide here, um, if we can pull that one up. So uh, first of all, uh, the ECB is the protecting the, the peripherals. You mentioned Italy there a couple of times um, against significant setbacks. So um, yeah that would be the direction of travel. Yeah, exactly. And financial debt is the, the high beta issue on the high risk type of a position you can have in Italy as well as in Greece. And of course, those which would benefit the most. And you have to add the Mario Draghi effect in Italy, which is considerable. Yeah. And over in America, they are look to keep rates on hold uh, for a while at least. And um, you know that means a steepening of the curve and also has an impact on euro dollar as well. Yeah, we do think that, so right now the uh, the dollar the US treasury curve has stabilized at a certain level uh, roughly about 160 uh, and the odds are that it's still going to move somewhat higher by 10 to 20 basis points on the back of a uh, lack of action from uh, from the Federal Reserve. Uh, the, the market will test the Fed a, a little bit more, uh, and that should also drive some dollar strength. So we think that over the next few months, your dollar is probably going to head towards 115. Great. Well, thanks for joining us this morning, Sebastian, and speak to you soon. Thank you so much. Great. So now we're going to move on to the main section. And today I'm joined by Eric Peterson. Eric is our Head of Responsible Investment at Nordea Asset Management. So good morning, Eric. Good morning, Paul. Hi. Hi. So Eric, I don't know if you saw last week, but I had Michael and Cecilia on because the 10th of March was a very important date uh, for the asset management business as a whole. Yeah, I did see, and I, I uh, have to admit, I have almost uh, daily conversations with uh, both uh, both uh, Michael and, and Cecilia on on this issue because clearly it's it's the biggest thing that's happened in asset management for the last twenty years, is what I say. So, of course, what we're talking about is the new um, sustainable finance disclosure regulation that came into force uh, last Wednesday. Right. So, my first question really was, you know, what does it mean for you as as head of responsible investment at Nordera Asset Management? Well, for the asset management industry, as I said, I think it's the biggest thing that's happened for the last twenty years. Uh, and for me personally, it means that that an area that I've been working on and which which I'm very passionate about and which has been uh, maybe if you go back 18 months, uh, still a little bit of a niche in, in, in asset management is now a fully regulated area uh, and, and, and a level of, of, of interest in this area that's, that's just huge. I mean, if you look at the flows, uh, uh, ESG products are taking well, almost all of the, the, the European flows and even in the US. So, so this is just huge. And of course, we, we are right in the middle of it as the responsible investments team because we are the ones who drive the strategy for, for, for ESG and for responsibility uh, in, in Nordea Asset Management. 
So um, what about from a client perspective? You know, how, how much of a change? I mean, obviously, it's a big change for us. It's a big mm. change for them as well, right? Yeah, it is because you you uh, suddenly have the situation where uh, all of the products are classified in, in, in different articles, let's say, so according to different articles in the legislation, you have yeah. your Article 6, your standard products, uh, which are sort of the traditional ones that, that, that uh, uh, don't necessarily have any uh, ESG characteristics that they're marketed on. Then you have your Article 8, uh, sometimes called the light green which are products that have ESG characteristics specifically uh, are marketed as such. And then you have your sort of the top of the line from the sustainability point of view, your article nine products, uh, which are the, the so-called sustainable investments uh, in the legislation. What happened to article seven? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, <laughs> article seven <laughs> covers something completely different. So, so uh, uh, it's not entirely consistent when, when they talk about the different product categories, but that's the way it is. Okay. Let's just leave that. <laughs> Let's park that. Um, now, of course, you've always had ESG governance responsibility, but now as a result of this change, it's actually a legal requirement. So, you know, how significant is that regulatory change? You know, obviously, it's now a legal requirement. So, yeah, I guess but, but it's 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 really big, and it's actually when I said before that that for the Article Six, they don't have any ESG characteristics. It's true that they are the products that are not marketed as such. But yeah. even for the Article 6, you have a legal requirement now that those have to take into account all investment strategies in Europe managed by companies with more than 500 employees need to take into account ESG risk to the portfolio. So what we call the financially material risk. So whereas mm -hmm. historically you can have had products that were marketed at ES, as, as an ESG product, uh, on the back of, of, of the fact that the PM would look uh, if there were climate risks, for instance, that would influence the valuation of the portfolio. That's not enough anymore. That's actually a requirement even for the Article 6. And then mm -hmm. when you move to Article 8, suddenly mm -hmm. it's a different story. Now you also need to have some, some extra ESG characteristics and they can not only be on the, the risk management side, so not only focused on the effect of ESG factors on the companies or the issues you invest in, but also on the effect of those companies and issuers on the world around them, on the environment and the social issues. Hmm. So Eric, I think you had a slide on this because, you know, like you say, Article 6, even that's touched. So basically the whole universe is touched in some way by this, but there are these layers and you had this nice slide. Perhaps you could talk us through that. Yes, uh, I can. And, and what it what it shows is that, that we really manage uh, both the, the legal risk, but also the reputational risk, the risk of, of uh, being perceived as greenwashing at three levels. So at the bottom level, uh, that is what is required for, for every single investment strategy now, uh, even the Article 6 ones, where you have this legal requirement to manage the financially material ESG risk, the, the risk of, of ESG or sustainability issues impacting the value of the portfolio. Now, as I said, you had products before that... Uh, uh, made this claim and, and on the back of that sold as ESG, but that's not good enough anymore under SFTR. So if you want to sell yourself as ESG or sustainable, if you want to be Article 8 or 9, then you have to add on top of this management of the risk to the portfolio, you have to add some management of the risk to the world around the company or the issuer that you invest in. And that's what we call the output materiality, the output part of the double materiality, this this term used by the EU Commission in this uh, sense. And then all the way on top, 
you have a level of, of, of uh, management of these issues, which is at the firm level, that's where you have the principal adverse impacts uh, screening, uh, again, weeding out the, the companies that are uh, most um, vulnerable and also most uh, have the most impact on the environment and on social issues. Uh, and, and you also have your traditional norm screening and, and uh, all the, the, the things that need to be managed at the, at the level of the company as well. Yeah, that's an important point, isn't it? That, that here at Nordea, you know, we have this overarching, you know, set of uh, rules about what we can and can't invest in, which is which plays exactly. into the, and, the and, whole and, range. Yes, yeah. yes, it does. And, and that's that's why, again, uh, I think I mentioned it in the beginning that that actually some of the products, if not all uh, that we have in Article 6, uh, if we look around in the market and we look at some of our peers, uh, then then we see that that, you know, the the, the criteria that we apply at the firm level mm. are some that, that some of our peers would, would take to justify an Article 8 level. So it, it's, it's really a, a little bit of a confusing picture out there because the commission hasn't been very clear on exactly what is required. So you will see some asset managers being very conservative, uh, others being very relaxed and, and basically applying uh, you know, the Article 8 or 9 label across all of their product range without changing very much. And then you have someone like us, uh, not necessarily in the middle, I think more to the conservative side, really, uh, who, who want to make really sure that, that, that you know, the criteria that we have uh, are, are watertight, are strong enough, that we have good distance to, to any possible interpretation of, uh, of the legislation. Of course, you're running a, a huge risk, I guess, if you misplace uh, a fund in the different category yes. so maybe maybe you could talk to us about that that middle piece you know the the eight and nine because that's where certainly you know my clients are asking me about uh mm. you know, what's going on there which funds fall into what category so what have we done with the various strategies that we have um in terms of you know complying with these new guidelines for article eight and nine yeah we, we've done quite a few things so so all of the products that we had already from the beginning uh, that we marketed as ESG products, they all fall into Article 8. It's our stars funds, for instance, uh, who could have been probably also nine, but again, we've been cautious in how we've applied this. And a lot of other products uh, that, that, that we see as ESG or sustainability related. And then what we've done is that we've taken a, a broader range of, of strategies as well, and we've applied some, some extra uh, ESG strategies on top of what we already did. And one of the things we've implemented is what we call our Paris aligned fossil fuel policy, mm -hmm. which now applies to uh, just over half of, of all of the Nordea strategies. And really, you know, to, to not spend too much time on it, but what that does is it goes in and looks at every company in, in, in the fossil fuel sector. So you have uh, your producers, you have your distributors, you have uh, your, your utility companies and so on, uh, and goes in and looks at them and says, do, do you have, does this single company uh, have a, a, a good plan? Uh, does it have a clear plan? And does it have a proven uh, track record of, of having started to implement that plan to comply with the Paris Agreement? And today, uh, none of the oil producers uh, can, can qualify under these criteria. Uh, quite a few uh, utilities actually do. Uh, and, and what this does is that it allows you to instead of put a blanket exclusion on every utility that uses coal for power generation to look at 
which ones are in a process of moving, which ones have already invested heavily in renewables and are phasing out their coals, have put out plans for how they're going to do that. Those are the ones that we want to invest in. The ones that haven't started the transition yet are simply too big of a risk, both from the financial materiality side, but also from the point of view of, of the effect on, on the environment and on, on, on global warming. Right at the beginning there, you mentioned um, the dedicated ESG stars strategies that we have. And of course, we have yes. equity and fixed income um, stars solutions. Yes, we do. How comes these are falling into Article 8 and, and are not considered Article 9? Yeah, but that's that's a reflection of our conservative approach to the classification. And, and, and we, we are looking over and I think we're waiting a little bit to see uh, how the regulators are going to in, in the various countries because we we cover uh, as you know most of Europe and, and also outside so 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 we need a little bit of feedback on how does the regulator see this and you mentioned it before uh, th this is very broad in terms of the interpretation what people have done uh, maybe not so broad in nine even though there are uh, some products that that, that I would uh, consider to to have uh, how should we say uh, not necessarily the same ESG standard that the stars have uh mm. which which uh, peers have classified as nine yeah and and when i look at the stars funds what i know is that they actually already have a sustainable investment objective namely to to drive the attainment of the un sustainable development goals by investing in companies that align with those goals so that we do that is part of of our internal scoring system which guides what companies we can invest in in the stars uh has been all the time and then the other part uh, which we have is is this uh, concept of, of do no significant harm, which is was introduced with the taxonomy, uh, but which is also part of, of the Article 9 classification that you have to make sure that let's say you invest in a company that builds wind turbines. Uh, that's a big plus, of course, that's very well aligned with, with the, the SDG 13. But uh, if they produce those wind turbines using child labor, uh, then they are doing significant harm on the social side, then you cannot have those in, in a so-called sustainable portfolio. So, mm -hmm. so, so that filtering is very easy for us in the stars because we already have a highly labor intensive process, which involves uh, a constant back and forth between ourselves and the responsible investments team, the fundamental equities team and the fixed income teams that work on the stars funds and our investee companies where we do the engagement together with the investment team. So this kicking of the tires that DNSH or do no significant harm really is, we are already doing that. We've been doing that for a long time. And, and, and so I think uh, uh, I would be comfortable myself in, in, in classifying these as Article 9, but, but as I said, we want to make sure that we are conservative and that we don't overstep uh, uh, any possible interpretation by, by, by either regulators or, or, or our clients, uh, because we do have uh, a reputation and and um, um, some standards to protect when it comes to sustainability. It seems to me that the conversations I'm having with clients as well that they, they're a little bit hesitant as well. I think that everyone's waiting to see where the dust dust settles uh, before yeah. <laughs> before making any final decisions. Uh, my other question really was regarding you know how is Nordia different than than other asset managers perhaps in in the, our analysis, our approach to, to, to all of this? Yeah, I think, I mean, again, there are different types of, of, of actors out there in the market and others uh, among our peers, but, but I think we, we, we're, we're at, at, at the end of the spectrum where many of the things that, that are maybe new to some uh, are things that we've been doing for a long time. 
uh, and at the same same time we're, we're at the end of the spectrum where uh, we don't want to 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 do this just for marketing purposes and to to uh, maybe uh, you know take some chances in how we classify because uh, we want to make sure we do this right. We have a certain pride in our ESG processes. We've been doing this for a long time. It's who we are. Uh, so 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 for us, this is um, this is very serious, serious business. Yeah. And just just finally, you had uh, you had a funny slide with a tsunami coming on there. I just wanted uh, if you could just perhaps wrap up because, uh, as you said right at the beginning, this is a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really big deal. And and uh, uh, I, I I I say you know when you talk about how many resources you need to put into this, uh, and and obviously we've been putting quite a few <laughs> into it for a long time. Uh, yeah. You can you can you can. Uh, compare it with, for instance, uh, the, the rollout of MIFID II, the whole uh, issue that, that, that quite a few European banks had with, with anti-money laundering and, and, and know your customer issues. Uh, and, and on this one, I have ESG as being even bigger because that's what I believe and, and what I go around saying at the moment, uh, half joking, but only half, is that you know I was the preacher going around in the wilderness saying to people for a long time, this is going to be big, but actually... Uh, I think it's turning out to be even bigger than I thought. Yeah, yeah. I think there's uh, there's still a lot to come, isn't there? And uh, it's something that we're going to have to be, all of us as an industry, be very aware of and, and on top of as well uh, in, in the months and years ahead. It, it goes from being something that you could choose to do and, and where maybe some would you know choose to market themselves on it without doing very much. Uh, to something that is regulated the way that that all other aspects of distribution of investment products are in Europe, and and that that's that's a big deal. Now yeah. you can't just, uh, even though it's 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 a little bit of a broad church, what can fall into, for instance, Article Eight, as as we discussed in the beginning. Uh, some at the lower end there are maybe the ones that we would call Article Six at Madea, uh, others would call them Eight, uh, and then at the higher end you have products like our Stars Funds that 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 might as well be nine, but but that we have kept in eight for uh, out of prudence. Yeah. Um, so so it's it's quite a wide spectrum, and it's going to take uh, at least twelve months, if not you know longer than that, I think, before the the dust settles and you see a little bit. Also, before the regulators make up their mind and find out what is the calibration that they need to do here. Right? Yeah. So uh, so we're all waiting and we're all trying to to find our place in it. But 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 I have a lot of confidence, and you know that's it's the confidence that comes from from having a team that has been working with this again for, for, for many years and working with portfolio managers that for whom this is not new. Uh, so so uh, for us, we, we see this as a huge opportunity and, and, and a recognition that, that you know, what we've been doing all along has been, uh, has been the right thing and, and, and it's now being recognized by the market uh, on an even bigger scale. Eric, with that in mind, um, I'd like to thank you for joining us this morning. I'm Thanks. sure we'll be speaking again uh, in the not too distant future. Oh, we will. <laughs> <laughs> um, good luck with everything and uh, speak to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. So uh, next week, the 24th of March, um, we will be taking a look at the latest macro developments. And what we'll be doing is we'll be discussing uh, solutions or potential solutions for um, a sort of reflationary environment. So uh, don't miss out on that. 
In the meantime, you can always go to our Stay Alert website where you will find all of the previous videos that we've done and also podcasts and support material. You'll find that at nordia.lu, but we also have uh, nordiaassetmanagement.com, um, another site with a lot of resources there as well. That's it for this week. I'll see you next Wednesday. Thank you.